The human body doesn't care if you're a king or a peasant. So today, we're going to look at a not-so-glamorous aspect of the life of the Sun King of France, Louis XIV, the cringeworthy problem of his teeth. Hey everyone, Christine here. Welcome to Footnoting History. Today we're going to take a look at a rather unsavory event in the life of King Louis XIV of France, one that deals with his failing teeth. Before we dive into that delightful topic, I think we should note a bit of context. Most obvious for the modern listener is to recall that without Louis XIV, we would not have the stunning Palace of Versailles. If you haven't visited that bastion of opulence, you're missing out, and really, if you get a chance to go to France, you should remedy that by going to see Versailles. Louis XIV lived from 1638 to 1715. He was not subject to a written constitution during his 72-year rule. Yes, 72 years, that's a very long time. So, you know, his personality and his beliefs had a very large impact on the events of his reign. To this day, historians still debate exactly what kind of a man he was. In his personal life, he was known for a large number of mistresses, one of which eventually became his wife after the death of the queen. But today isn't about the money he spent on building Versailles, who shared his bed, or even his politics. It's about something we can all understand. Tooth pain. Now that we're all thinking of a man who loved expensive things, wielded lots of power, and enjoyed multitudes of women, let's forget the so-called majesty of royalty and talk about the tooth issues that would quite literally have had this podcaster crying in the corner for the rest of her life. Before Louis XIV was Louis XIV, the glorious Sun King of France, he was possibly the country's most wanted baby in recent memory. His parents, King Louis XIII and Queen Anne, had been married for over 20 years before they were able to successfully welcome a happy, healthy baby into the world. In royal time, two decades of waiting for a baby feels like an eternity, and who knew if they would have any other children? They did have one more, but they couldn't know that would happen at the time. So, when, after many, many years of hoping and praying and trying, they welcomed a little boy into the royal fold in September of 1638, it was a cause for celebration. Louis was heralded as the gift of God, but it wasn't just his seemingly miraculous birth or the fact that he would one day be the king of France that got him attention. You see, the future sun king was also born in the possession of two teeth. I'm sure you can imagine the surprise that came from seeing the little prince open his baby mouth and have teeth already there. While this is not something that has never happened before, and would never happen again. In fact, the United States National Library of Medicine's Medical Encyclopedia tells us that in the 21st century, one in every two to 3,000 babies is born with pre-existing teeth. Anyway, it definitely caught people's attention in the 17th century. This unexpected development had three reactions, two of which interpreted it as omens, and one which was far more practical. First, it was seen as a sign of Louis's health, and because he was developed more than other babies, it was obviously a show of God's hand in providing an heir for France. Second, on the other side of that coin, there were the detractors who usually were also politically on the outs with France. 
These commentators saw it as boding ill for the future and signaling that this infant was going to grow up power-hungry and cause problems for all of France's surrounding countries. The third reaction to this, which, to be perfectly fair, I didn't even think about when I first read about the two teeth, is actually the most logical. That is quitting. Now, who would quit over the birth of a baby just because he had a few little teeth? Well, God's hand in the matter and Europe's fears for the future had nothing on the concerns of the poor women expected to nurse the baby. Queen Anne was not going to be breastfeeding. A wet nurse would have the task. And having to allow an infant already in possession of teeth to clamp onto your breast is not really an appetizing idea. Several women ultimately suffered through it, each one replacing someone who went before her, who after a while could not take the pain of the prince's teeth raking havoc on her breasts. Honestly, I can't say I blame them. Seeing as Louis lived to be well into his 70s, we can say that this change of wet nurses didn't have a lasting effect on his health. But I thought it was important to take a moment to recognize these poor women whose service to the crown was hardly as rewarding and positive as they might have hoped. Now that we've established that teeth were an issue for Louis the God-given future Sun King of France from birth, let's fast forward a bit. Louis inherited the crown from his father at the ripe old age of four and a half, but he didn't rule on his own until after his chief minister died in 1661. At that point, Louis decided it was time to take control himself, and it isn't until well into Louis XIV's personal rule that we reach the next big event, all capital letters implied there, also known as the main incident of this podcast. Now, let's be very clear. There weren't a lot of people in 17th and 18th century France who made it to old age with all of their teeth. In fact, if you did make it to old age with a full set of decent-looking teeth, you were an anomaly. Dental health care and hygiene had not yet fully developed, and issues of the mouth were a common occurrence. However, if you were king, like Louis XIV, you had the benefit of a royal household at your beck and call that included a series of hand-picked medical practitioners that could, it was hoped, deal with any incident that came their way. Louis' medical household gets a special tip of the hat from me because they were kind enough to leave behind a serious gift for future historians, a detailed account of the medical health of the king's body. This book is a treasure trove of medical care and remedies used for the king from the 17th into the early 18th century. And it's from that book that we can see what happened to the king's teeth. So thank you, physicians of King Louis XIV, on behalf of modern historians and history lovers, for providing us with such important information. What we know about Louis' daily teeth cleaning regime from this and other sources is pretty unexciting. It is believed that rubbing the teeth and gums with cloth and washing the mouth out with water was basically the extent of it. The occasional toothpick, typically made of rosemary, was also used. Toothaches occurred, not an infrequent thing in the world now, let alone then, and when that was the case, natural cures were turned to, like thyme, which sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. Either way, such things did more to dull the pain than they did to prevent the teeth from further decay. By the end of 1684 into 1685, our adult Louis was in pain. He had already had teeth pulled, and it was commented that his teeth were pretty poor all around. 
and his physicians decided that the best way to deal with his continued dental pain was to remove what remained on the upper side of his jaw of his teeth because, hey, no teeth, no pain. They also thought it might help with some rheumatic pain that he was having in his arm because, you know, the whole body is tied together and sometimes you don't realize that one thing is actually affecting something else. Physicians diagnosed and prescribed medicines more than they did actual physical work. And surgeons didn't often extract teeth either. So a special tooth puller who possessed the strength needed to pull a tooth was typically assigned the task. In a world without anesthesia, you can only imagine how unpleasant a tooth being pulled would be. And by this point, it was not an unfamiliar experience for the king. He agreed, and before long, the offending tooth was removed. But so was part of his upper jaw. Yes, that's right. The tooth pulling went woefully awry, and the already in pain king was subject to having a hole in his upper jaw because part of it came out with the tooth. I'm going to allow you a second to wince in pain before I tell you that things got even worse. Now that we're all grossly imagining how that felt, let's think about the aftermath, which, for better or worse, was recorded in the records of the king's health. Basic science, or simply a look in the mirror, tells us that directly above the mouth is the nose. Many people have experienced the sensation of feeling like you're going to spurt something out of your nose if you laugh too much while you're drinking something. Well, think about that happening all the time. Because now you have a hole in your jaw that prevents things from being kept separate from the nasal area. The area of the jaw that was basically ruined did not heal properly. It ended up gross, pus-filled, and not smelling too great. Louis' physicians also recorded that it gave him extreme difficulty eating. Keep in mind how often the king was expected to eat in public. And know that whenever he drank or gargled whatever the liquid of the moment was, it ended up flowing from his nose like a fountain. No, that is not my choice of analogy. It is actually how his physician described it in the text. Flowing from his nose like a fountain. Okay, so now you might be saying, good God, how did this man live another 20 plus years with such a disgusting condition? Well, he didn't have to because his medical team came to his rescue. Only, it took what I think might have been akin to a walk through hell to solve the situation. The medical team decided that the way to solve this was to cauterize the hole. In case you aren't sure, this basically means that without anything to really numb the pain in the way we think of numbing pain nowadays, a scalding hot piece of metal was touched to the offending place in the king's mouth. I actually gagged the first time I read about this. The pain, everybody, the pain that that must have caused. And it was not something that happened once. It took two sessions over the span of approximately a month, and each time it required more than one touch of the heated tool before it finally worked. During this period, Louis had been made to drink certain things like water and orange blossoms in hopes of preventing rot in the passage between the jaw and the nose. But still, that is nothing compared to the hot metal. It is a testament to the king's strength that he even made it through such repeated torture and unearthly pain. 
The medical records do not say that the king approached it with anything other than a belief that they needed to just get this horrible thing over with. But really, are you going to record that the king cried? I'm not. Either he really did have a level of tolerance for pain that I personally cannot fathom, or else his tears were stricken from the records, which I can also understand. Regardless, I wanted to hug all the anesthesiologists of the world after I thought about Louis XIV needing to experience multiple rounds of people sticking blazing metal into his face so he could hope to eat normally again. I don't even want to think about how angry he would have been if it hadn't worked. But mercifully, after the two grueling sessions and a period of healing, Louis XIV was once again able to eat and drink without having liquid burst out of his nose at every sip. Now, there have been many theories as to what caused tooth decay. The minimal cleaning of teeth is one of them. But along with that, it has been suggested by modern historians like Colin Jones that Louis' incredibly rich diet, which included a lot of foods that utilized the luxury ingredient of sugar, yes, of course, it's always a sugar thing, could have contributed to the speedy decay of his teeth. Regardless of what caused it, by the time Louis died in 1715, he would not have a tooth left in his head. This wasn't the sort of thing you could hide. Several high-ranking and high-born people who met with Louis in his later years commented in their writings on his lack of teeth. While talking to the king, it was hard to ignore that he was all gums. In most cases, loss of teeth led to the slurring of speech, difficulty eating, and of course, a complete change in the appearance of the face. Couple this with his late-life bouts of things like gout, and as glorious as the Sun King title may have sounded, by the end of his reign, Louis XIV was not likely the most beautiful person in the room. Now, in theory, this is the end of our story. But I have to add one little footnote to it because it amused me greatly. Prior to Louis's lifetime, there had been issued an edict that allowed French Protestants, called the Huguenots, to practice their religion freely in France. In 1685, Louis revoked this edict, abolishing the rights of the Huguenots. There had been a multitude of theories put forth by historians as to what truly drove Louis to this decision. They go from everything to Louis wanted to impress the Pope, to that his second wife talked him into it. However, my personal favorite, the rarest of theories and also the most humorous, was proposed in an 1887 article in a British medical journal. Following a brief outline of the disastrous tooth removal incident we discussed here, the author simply wondered, was it possible that Louis XIV revoked the edict because he was just really, really grumpy from the tortures of his teeth? This is, of course, a highly unlikely reason to remove the entire set of rights from people, but as the New York Lotto says, hey, you never know. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.